Fordham. I serve as an elder here at Renovation Church. Grateful to have and to see each and every one of you this morning. The ruins, say ruins, think ruins, desolate destruction. The ruins in the poem Ozymandias by Percy Shelley are thick with irony. Here's the poem. I met a traveler from an antique land who said, Two vast and trunkless legs of stone stand in the desert. Near them on the sand, half sunk, a shattered visage lies, whose frown and wrinkled lip and sneer of cold command tell that its sculptor well those passions read, which yet survive, stamped on these lifeless things, the hand that mocked them and the heart that fed. And on the pedestal, these words appear. My name is Ozymandias. King of kings, look on my works, ye mighty, and despair. Nothing besides remains around that physicae of that colossal wreck, boundless and bare. The lone and level sands stretch far away. Ozymandias. Ramesses II, Pharaoh, king of kings. His greatness was meant to bring people to their knees. Look on my works, ye mighty despair. But here's the sobering and devastating irony in this poem. That no matter how great you are, no matter your wisdom, no matter the superiority of your work, death will take you, and none of it will matter, and no one will remember. What memory remains will merely be a heap of ruins, robbed by death. The great Ozymandias was left to this hopeless ruin at the tragedy of death. What hope could people like us, ordinary people like us, possibly have in this life? This morning we continue our series through the book of Ecclesiastes. Last week the teacher came to the frustrating realization, to the conclusion that life, pleasure, knowledge, riches, when we have them apart from God, they are nothing, that they make no difference in life. In our text this morning, the preacher draws our attention to the fact that apart from God, life robs death. Sorry, death robs life of enjoyment. We see that he does this in two ways. He says, first, apart from God, death robs wisdom of enjoyment. Verses 12 through 17. And second, apart from God, death robs work of enjoyment. Verses 18 through 23. But, 
as we'll see eventually, he does come to a hopeful conclusion. If you'd open up your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 2 this morning, I would invite Lisa D'Alessandro to come and to read uh, our passage this morning. So our passage this morning comes from the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 2, verses 12 to 26. This is the word of the Lord. So I turn to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can man, the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceived that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is vanity. For of the wise, as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and a striving after wind. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the, in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God, for apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the busyness of, of the business of gathering and collecting, only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. Let's ask the Spirit's assistance as we hear the word this morning. Praise the most merciful God. Holy Spirit, giver of life, enlighten our eyes and our minds and our hearts to your word this morning, that in them we may behold your glory and your goodness, and that leaving this place may walk toward eternal life. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we remember... The voice that we're hearing in Ecclesiastes right now is Solomon's, king of Israel. And Solomon had it all. Riches, pleasure, wisdom. There was not a single thing Solomon couldn't get. Yet he concludes 
in our previous passage that riches, pleasure, and wisdom didn't matter. That this under-the-sun perspective sort of ruined it all. And he was king. His access, his wisdom, his power was unparalleled. So what hope does anybody who comes after the king have for doing anything new? None. None at all. No one has any chance to do something more than the king. And since his previous conclusion was so devastating, he returns to consider the matters of first importance. Okay, let's go back and consider wisdom and folly. Which is better? Well, we do see that he comes to a good conclusion. When you compare wisdom and folly, wisdom is the clear winner. And he justifies this line of thinking with a proverb. Wisdom is like light. Folly is like darkness. Wisdom guides one with insight and clarity. uh, Folly throws you into the unknown. So I want you to imagine you're in a room and the lights are off. The only thing you could see is a sort of vague outline of a door and the sense that I've got to get to that door and I've got to get out of here. So you start walking. And as soon as you take that first step, searing pain throughout your entire body. But you have no choice. You've just got to go. You're not even thinking. You're just going for it. Now imagine different scenario. You're in the same room, except the lights are on. And you look around briefly, and you realize that you're barefoot, and you see a set of shoes next to you, and that you're surrounded by a sea of Legos. Parents, you know, right? A sea of Legos. So what do you do? You put the shoes on. You're like, oh my gosh, I don't want to step on these in my bare feet. Flip the shoes on. Okay, now we can crunch our way across these Legos with no pain to get to the other side. Wisdom is guiding us. It's better than folly, right? There is a problem. Even if you can navigate to the other side of this room, no matter which person you are, you open the door, someone is waiting to to just absolutely blast you in the face. To just deck you right across the face. So whether you choose to act wisely or foolishly, it doesn't really matter. Because you're just going to get blasted as soon as you walk through that door. Wisdom then seems to be just as disappointing as folly. In the end... The wise die just like the foolish. And no one is around long enough to even remember. This is vanity. This is vanity, right? This reoccurring word 
in Ecclesiastes. Havel, vanity, sometimes translated futility, which I think I like a little bit more. Right? It's a sort of like life is vanity. You can't get your hands around it. And this reality is something that we all have to deal with. And here, we realize the greatest vanity of all, that death comes for us all. That no matter how wise or foolish you are, everyone dies. But with the preacher's under-the-sun perspective, it's even worse. It's even worse. Intuitively, we know wisdom is better than folly, but there's no lasting significance beyond that because both die. Both die. The wisest people in all of the history of the world have died, except for the ones who are still alive, obviously. Socrates is dead. Plato is dead. Aristotle is dead. Marcus Aurelius is dead. They're all dead. And there's no difference between what they did in their living and what the foolish did in living because they've all died. For the preacher, the result of this line of thinking is that he hated his life. He hated life. Because there's no real reason to enjoy the wise path. We strive to act wisely, don't we? Want to live wisely? Exert so much effort to choose the good over the evil? But I mean, if we're looking at the world under the sun, everything comes to an end. And everyone dies. And wisdom seems to be no better than folly. This also is vanity and a striving after the wind. That apart from God, death robs living wisely of enjoyment. Unfortunately, death doesn't stop there. Death does not stop with wisdom. We also see that apart from God, death robs hard work of enjoyment. Gabby and I, uh, my wife, my wife and I, we, we bought a two-family home at the beginning of 2020, uh, and we've been living in it. We live in the one of the units, and uh, this house was a, a disaster, right? So we've been renovating it as we go. Put a lot of blood, sweat, and tears into it. Some of you have been on this journey with us, right? You know that in the first seven months of owning the house, we had to sleep in the living room with our bed set up and everything because both bedrooms were not habitable. Because as soon as you shut the door, they'd be 20 degrees colder than the rest of the house. We had to work, renovate, make things new. Well, Gabby and I, the other day, were standing in the kitchen, and she's like, this is kind of sad. It's like, we're going to rent this out someday. And there's no way people are going to take as good of care of it as we have. That's true, right? We, we just don't know what kind of renters we're going to get. We don't know what they're going to be like. And I know this. I speak as a renter, like at once being a renter. I didn't care about kitchen cabinets until I had them, until I bought them and they were mine, right? You just don't 
know what will happen, who is going to take what comes after, take what you work for, what comes after you. Teresa says he looks at life and he realizes it's the same. Right? We read verses 18 through 23, I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool, yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. It's devastating. Death, the uncertainty of the future, robs the preacher, robs Solomon, of enjoying life at all. Because he has no idea who's going to come after him. And if we look at Solomon specifically, oh, how true that was for him, right? Because his kids inherited the kingdom and they blew it. They, they, it was so bad, they divided the kingdom. That's how much they blew it, right? No one knows what will happen to their work and possessions after they die. For instance, Clint Murchison Jr. was the son of an oil tycoon. In the 1960s, he inherited $200 million. That's four, like something like $400 million today. And he invested in everything and anything. One of his great achievements was that he founded the Dallas Cowboys. I don't know if you're a Cowboys fan, but... I, I mean, I, yeah, I, I have no dog in that fight. I have no dog in that fight. Maybe you don't think that's an achievement at all. But he did found the Dallas Cowboys. But most investments failed. And by the age of 85, he filed for bankruptcy. It is the largest bankruptcy to date. Inherit that much money. That's a lot of money. Most of us want that money, don't we? Just gone. It's a vanity. But we work hard. We get degrees. We work, we go to work and we work with people who are hard to work with. You know, we want to work to earn a little leisure, a vacation. We work and build up the savings accounts. We study the market so that we know how to make the best investments. We go from fixing up one house to move into another one that just has all of the same problems. We work and we work and we work. But what's good is all of that work if this is the only life. Why is it needed? Who cares? We work, and then we die. And we have no guarantee of who's going to come after us. The result for the preacher is that he gives his heart over to despair, right? He hated his toil with which he toiled under the sun. He hated his work. What's it all matter anyway? Who cares? We all die, and the future is left to who knows who. So he concludes, What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow. 
this work, it's a vexation. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. He's left with crippling depression. His work is nothing but an angry frustration. And he loses sleep over it. Apart from God, there is no rest, no contentment. Right? Have you ever lost sleep over the future? Number one cause for losing sleep is stress. Right? Stress specifically over life, sorry, work, stress over life, work, money, and family. This is what people lose sleep over. This is what you maybe lose sleep over sometimes. These are all consuming realities in life. You know what it's like to despair over your life because of death. One commentator said, death can make a man hate life. Not because he wants to die, but because it renders life so futile. Just as a child on the seashore may grow weary of the sandcastles that he builds so patiently, only to have them swallowed up by the inexorable sea. Maybe you're here today, and you're unsure about Christianity. You're unsure about these answers to life. Right? You're just trying to get by and do whatever you need to do to get through life. But friend, if that's you, death cannot be ignored. If this life is all there is, life stops with death. It doesn't matter. All of you are living wisely and working well. Death does not care. Maybe you're a Christian here this morning and you're thinking, goodness, that's me. Right? The sense of the emotion, the worried over life, stressing over life, fearing the humdrum of it all, the sort of endlessness only for it to end when you die. Sometimes it's difficult to look at life with something other than an under-the-sun perspective, thinking that this is all there is. Parents, you have no idea how your kids are going to turn out. Does that keep you up at night? Does that stress you out? Especially since they are the objects of all of your hard work and attempts to live, live wisely. You just don't know how they're going to turn out. And that's frightening. Maybe you're here today and you're well off. you got money in the bank, and you intend to keep it that way. Right? You work, you earn your way, you put it in the bank, and there's your value. Except you work and you work and you work and you find absolutely no enjoyment in life whatsoever because you don't stop to take any moments for pleasure in this life. Because you just work and work and work. And for what? 
to leave it to who knows who. Can't take it with you. Pharaohs thought they could, buried with all their gold, and now their corpses are on display for us to gawk at. Vanity. Maybe you're here and you're at the end of your life. And you're wondering if the hard work is really all worth it. And you're wondering how you're supposed to live out your final days. It can be frightening. Friends, apart from God, death robs hard work and living wisely of all enjoyment. Just so what? Right? We're in this book, we're in Ecclesiastes. We just got done with Matthew. Wow, very different. We'll read Philippians after this. Also, wow, holy cow, very different. We're Ecclesiastes. And we keep hearing the same thing over and over and over again. And we're only three weeks in. We got 16 more weeks left. Is the preacher just going to continue to kick us in the teeth for the next 13 weeks about the hopeless futility of existence? I gotta say, if you're here today and you aren't a Christian, the preacher's point is loud and clear. Life is vanity, it's futile, and then you die. And if you're a Christian this morning, the preacher's point is loud and clear. Life is vanity, and then you die. So what in the world is going to make any difference? You've got to keep in mind that this book is wisdom from God. That He is trying to tell us how to wisely live in a vain and futile world. Because God is a good God. He offers His people a godly perspective on living wisely in this world. A perspective that matters. A perspective that does make a difference. You see, apart from God, death robs life of enjoyment. But with God, we can enjoy life. Look at starting at verse 24 to the end. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat and who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to the one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. And when he says that there's nothing better for a person, sort of like, eh, get what you can. That's sort of like, like that. It's kind of like if you went to Vegas and you get suckered into sitting through a two- or three-hour presentation on your opportunity to get in on this timeshare, right? We have an extraordinary opportunity for you. Get in on this timeshare. It's a drag. And you don't care about the timeshare. You don't want to get in on that. What are timeshares anyway? Nobody knows. Because no one has one. We're all just trying to sell them. 
right? But you know what? So is light at the end of the tunnel. Because after you sit in on this presentation, you have the option between a discounted rate at a really nice hotel on the Strip, or perhaps a free ticket to a Penn and Teller magic show, or maybe a coupon to, like, top-tier steakhouse. It's Vegas, after all. The presentation was lame, but at the end of the day, you get to enjoy something. According to preacher, the preacher, life with God, it's kind of like this. At the end of the day, God gifts his people food, drink, and enjoyment from their toil. But in life, we have the opportunity to eat a meal. Sometimes we have the opportunity to eat a really good meal, right? That meal, food, sustains us. But it's also so pleasurable. Like we have the opportunity to have a good drink in the presence of good company, right? Around the fire, sitting there, spring, summertime. Can't wait. In life, we look at our labor we can find some enjoyment, some sense of accomplishment, knowing that it's not pointless. No matter how small our lives are, or how seemingly insignificant, or how hard our work is, God gives us the little things. He gives us the little things. With God, all things can be enjoyed. With God, your work week can be enjoyable because it's from God. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. With God, we can find some enjoyment, some enjoyable pleasure in this life. We can eat we could drink, we could do so to sustain our lives, but we could also do so to fill our hearts with joy. This God intends, right? He, he Psalm 104 gives wine to make man's heart glad. And we need not look any further than Jesus and how he lived his life. That Jesus enjoyed food, he enjoyed friends the company of others. He enjoyed drink with others. And he worked. I think sometimes we forget Jesus had an ordinary job, right? He was a carpenter. He had an ordinary life, like you and I. He had to take care of his mother. And in his public ministry, Jesus still worked. He did the work that the Father gave him to do. And he sent others out to work. And as we just saw at the end, recently, at the end of Matthew, that before he ascends into heaven, he gives his disciples work to do. He gives us work to do. Go and make more disciples. As we go about living, what can we expect from God? Says wisdom, knowledge, joy. These are things that the preacher has just has lamented 
up to this point. Talking about their meaninglessness. Apart from God. With God. These things can be enjoyed. These are God's good gifts. And what greater gift have we received as the people of God than Jesus Christ himself? Jesus Christ, who is the wisdom of God. Jesus, who is direct knowledge of God. Jesus, who as God is joy itself. Maybe you say it differently. Joy himself. Amen? In Christ, we have every good thing from God. In this life, it's a little bit more bearable. So for those here who do not know Christ, who live apart from God, who look at the world and maybe have wrestled with some of these things, this is you. Don't leave here without reckoning with these things. The fact is, if this life is all there is, it's meaningless nothing. That even the good things that God gives themselves become small torments. But friends, consider Christ. Because in Him, get perspective on this life. We get wisdom in this life. We can live this life because Jesus gives us true life. Friends, Christ will come again. He will judge the living and the dead. And in doing so, he's also going to judge the vanity of this life. Christ came to work, the fruit of his labor, a people, and a kingdom. Are we not those people? Are we not that kingdom? Christ will come again, and his people will no longer live in vanity or futility. We will live in the eternal joy of knowing and being known by God. Until then, I have some good news for you. Enjoy this life. It's vain. It's futile. But enjoy it. It's God's gift to you. Enjoy wisdom. Because by it, God is leading you through the difficulties of this life. Enjoy work. God is providing you with labor to enjoy His good gifts at the end of the day. After church today, as you, I know some of you will, eat and enjoy a meal together. Consider these things. Talk about the trials of this life. But praise God for the ways in which He offers you respite and rest. Small bits of enjoyment. God is worthy to be praised over these things, is He not? Kids, young people here today, you are growing up, and I imagine experiencing 
some of these things. Looking at life and you're just feeling a little bit of that exhaustedness, that sorrow, that is this all there is? Maybe you're beginning to experience that vanity, futility. But I want to tell you this week, or this afternoon, talk to your parents about the ways in which God has sustained them through all of those things. That way you may learn from them how to take joy in the things that God does give, even in this life. As a church, do not allow the tragedy of death to dictate your life together. Enjoy God's good gifts with one another this week. Work together. Do a house project. Enjoy a meal together. Eat with one another. Have a drink with one another. And relax. As you do so, give all glory to God. Spend time with one another. As you spend time with one another, also consider the fact that your unbelieving friends, family, neighbors, they live in the vanity of this life with an under-the-sun perspective without any escape. Who's going to offer them hope? Who's going to offer them a new perspective? Brothers and sisters, as a church, this is our task. We have from God knowledge of what this life is really like. And our friends, our neighbors, right? we're not the only ones who suffer. We all do. But who's going to offer them life? Everyone else is going to try to. Possessions, possessions, riches, pleasure, all of these things attempt to offer life apart from God. But only God actually gives us life in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Who's going to offer that to those who live far from God? You must. We must. Friends, God gives us so many good things to enjoy. And at the end of the day, that's all there is. And that's okay. Because apart from God, death robs life of all enjoyment. But with God, we can enjoy life. Amen? Let's pray. Gracious and most merciful Father, we come to you in Jesus Christ. And Lord God, we ask that you would give us great contentment to be satisfied with this life. That Lord, we would not ask for more than what your hand gives us. But that in all things, God, that you would sustain us. Lord, we live in this fallen world. And we need your help. Lord, satisfy us with some good. That we may be at work. Exercising wisdom. Enjoying this life. We pray for Christ's place. Amen.